Well, praise the Lord, church. Today we continue on in our series through the book of Acts, and this will take us to the starting of Acts chapter 6, at which point we will break for the summer and launch into our summer series, which is coming up, which you will hear more about next week, and I'm pretty excited to jump into that one too. God's word is never dull, no matter where you are, and so uh, we can come with great expectancy this morning that the words that we are about to hear, the words that we are about to see, have been breathed out by God and are useful for training and rebuking and correcting in righteousness, that we would be equipped for every good work. I'm pretty fired about this. Foundations of the church from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. And the title of this morning's message is The Path of God's Power in the Church. God has a path of power for his church. And he gives it, he lays it out detail by detail right here on what he promises to bless and show his power through. The path of God's power in the church, Acts 4, 23 to 31. If you do not have a Bible with you, the ushers are coming forward now. Just stick your hand up nice and high because we want to put a copy of God's word in front of you to follow along. Make sure you can follow along with us and not be distracted. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, please take that with you as a free gift for us to say thank you for worshiping with us today and to continue to encourage you to study God's word on your own as well. The foundations of the church. Now, all throughout this series, we have been focused on developing a sound biblical theology of what the church is and what God intends his church to be. And so all of the things that we're looking in Acts, they're not just found in the book of Acts. Whenever you interpret scripture to avoid what can often lead to misinterpretation, you have to look at what the whole Bible says about a topic. Not just one verse, pick and choose, and then twist it however you want. You need the context. Scripture will always interpret Scripture. There's a good Bible study tool for you right there. Write that down. Scripture always interprets Scripture. Okay? And so as we look through what Jesus Christ says his church is to be, he uses the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, you'll see it on the screen. That is the Greek word for that. And it means the people of God living on mission for God and in the power of God. That's been a definition that we've been unpacking text by text as we go through this series. The people of God living on mission for God and in the power of God. And last message we looked at a couple weeks ago, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22 where we looked at how the church is called to be bold in their witness for Christ. And this week, we look at not only the source of where our boldness is to come from, because so many questions of how can I be bold and where does that come from? What does that look like? We don't just look at the source of where our boldness is to come from today, but we will see how the power of God is given to us for living out the mission that he's entrusted to us. That's why the title is The Path of God's Power in the Church. The Path of God's Power. Because here's the reality. The path of God's power, God blessing his church with his presence and his glory comes through one place and one place alone, loved ones. Prayer. Prayer is the channel that moves the heart of God. Nothing else will do that. 
The path of God's power in the church is through prayer. So we have to get a definition of what prayer is because let's not assume everyone's on the same page here. There's a lot of people here and you come from a lot of different backgrounds. So what is prayer? I love how Daniel Henderson, he's the, the president of Act 6 for Fellowship. He, uh, and he, his, that whole ministry is devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Love it. This is how he defines prayer, right? From the truth of God's word, and he sums it up this way. He says, prayer is the means, the action or the method. Prayer is the means for us to accomplish the mission of Christ in the power of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Prayer is the means, the conduit, the method, the channel, the path for us to accomplish the mission of Christ in the power of Christ and for the glory of Christ. And you say, well, why is it so important that we that God would devote entire sections of his word to prayer. I mean, isn't it just giving a laundry list to God of what we want? Oh no, it goes way beyond that, loved ones, because here's the truth. We need to understand that definition right there. Because without prayer, and you hear it around here, and you'll hear it, I pray, until Christ comes back and takes this church. Without prayer, we are dead. That's the reality. That's not just a fancy saying to get people to attend prayer nights. That's the living reality that God has laid out. And the problem we see is this. The problem we see is, why do you think Satan attacks prayer so much? Why does he like to distract us in prayer so much? Why does he like to keep us from going to prayer meetings? Why why do you think he works so hard to do that? Because of this. It's the means for us to accomplish The mission God has given to us in his power. And here in the church, we see all around us today, the church depending less and less on the power of God and more and more on the power of self. More and more on the power of methods. More and more on the power of strategies, marketing, consumerism, entertainment. Come to church and get entertained. To somehow draw people in thinking that that will somehow advance God's kingdom. How do we know this? You say, that's a big statement, Pastor Ray. How do you know this? Okay, let's just take a look. Consider this. What does it say that the early church, as we've been seeing in these first four chapters, the early church was literally birthed through prayer, and that prayer meetings today in most churches are looked at as dry, boring, irrelevant, are not well attended, or extinct altogether. What's that telling you? Depending less and less on God through prayer and more and more on self. And in essence, dependent prayer has become an afterthought. I'll pray if I feel like it. We'll do all we can and then if that doesn't work, then we'll pray. Loved ones, no wonder. No wonder we're not seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. Because to sum it up is this. There's no prayer, there's no power. Although Daniel Henderson goes on to say this, we must understand this. In church life, prayer is not the only thing we do, but must be the first thing we do. 
You understand that? In your homes, in your families, in your workplaces, in the church, prayer is not the only thing we do, but must be the first thing we do. It must be our first resolve, not our last resort, if work is to be marked by the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely true. We must understand, loved ones, dependent prayer is us literally saying, to God, we can do nothing apart from you, and we are completely, I mean completely, like every single part, like not even a little bit, we are completely reliant upon you. Every time we preach or teach God's word, every time we serve in God's church, every time we come to a small group, every time we fellowship together, do setup, do production, whatever it is, we are completely reliant on you. Is that your heart today? It's so easy to slip, isn't it? Relying on self, relying on other things. See, we must understand God always promises to bless this posture of prayer. Why? This was a sobering truth. It hit me this week. God's not looking for help, loved ones. He's looking for those who call for help. And God will never resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. God will never resist those. He's looking for that. His eyes, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, say they roam to and fro across the earth looking for those who are faithful and he will not cease, not hesitate to lend his strong support to them. He doesn't need our help. He's looking for those who call for help to show how powerful he is on their behalf. See, this is the place of dependency where the disciples find themselves here in our text in facing the first persecution that came against them. And we see two marks of dependency that must mark the prayer life of every individual and every church body if they are going to stay dependent on Christ and see God's power and glory in and through them. You guys ready? Pathway to God's power in the church. Let's stand and honor the authority of God's word from Acts chapter 4, starting at 32. Sorry, starting at 23. 32's next week, getting ahead. The believers pray for boldness. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, can't you picture what's going on? And the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with 
boldness. Awesome. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to see God's power in the church, Harvest Ottawa, we must pray with a posture of submission to Christ. A posture of submission. Verses 23 to 28. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place." See here, let's get some context on this. That is an amazing prayer, by the way. Just like put in the margin of your Bible, roadmap. Roadmap and refer back. Context, the early church has just gone through the first persecution that's come against them from the Jewish leaders. The Lord has healed a crippled man back in Acts 3, healed a crippled man through Peter and John, and Peter begins preaching about the saving power of Jesus Christ, resulting in them being thrown into jail and brought before the high court. Remember from from the last time, you'll see this picture. This is the, the courtroom, the Sanhedrin. You can see a little intimidating Here's all the Sanhedrin and Jewish leaders surrounding the disciples and Peter and John were standing in the middle of that semicircle as everyone was bearing down on them. And after being warned not to preach again in Jesus' name or risk further escalating persecution, you have to understand, you say, why were the Sanhedrin, why were they so against the name of Jesus Christ? Uh, Because they were the ones who killed him a few weeks earlier. He's supposed to be dead. And the Sanhedrin and Jewish council were so concerned about their reputation and holding on to power with the people. So if what Peter and John is preaching is true, and what they say happened actually happened, these guys are in trouble. It's discrediting their whole message. So here they are warning them not to preach again in Jesus' name. And they release the disciples And now the disciples have come together with some of the other believers and are telling them about this warning. And in verses 24 to 28, we see the response to the threats made toward them. The believers, notice notice this, loved ones. This is beautiful. Notice this. Instead of immediately going into panic mode, where do they go? They go into prayer mode. Not panicking, praying. That's a good word for us this morning. Let's not go into panic mode. When that trial hits, we go into prayer mode. They're not paying. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to the Lord who knows what we're supposed to do. They go into prayer mode and subsequently by doing this, they show who their dependence is really on. Okay, stop. Live in the text. Let's live in this text. Put yourself in the believer's shoes there. You're in that room. You've just been told by the most powerful men in the entire nation of Israel, sitting right there in that council, the most powerful men who literally have your life in their hands. They could order your execution at any moment. They have your life in their hands, and you've just been told by them that you will be punished, jailed, and most likely killed if you continue to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news about Jesus Christ. And therefore, you had been warned 
to stop engaging in the, notice this, stop engaging, but in the very mission you had been given by your king and stop engaging it in how he instructed you to do it. Here's the high court telling them to do this. Hey, question, loved ones, what would be your first response to that? If you were in that room, if you're standing in that circle and you hear that, what would be your first response? Honestly, can't lie, this is true. I'm going to stand on my people. Okay, okay, okay. Would your first response be fear? A little bit of fear? What's going to happen to my family? Peter had a wife. What's going to happen to her? What happened to my relatives? Would Would it be anxiety maybe? little anxiety, worry, doubt. Uh, is that Jesus actually know what he's doing? Is that what it would be? I guess, I guess the follow-up question to that is this. Where or who would you turn to? Think of that trial you're going through right now, that difficult situation, that tension. Where are you turning to? Who are you turning to? Maybe yourself. I must do it. I've got to work harder. I've got to find a way. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Maybe other people. Well, I'll depend on them. And if they come through, then we'll be okay. If I depend on them, others must do it. Wait, maybe other devices or methods. Well, if I just, if I just work really hard and then, and then we get this, and, and, and if we just do it this way, maybe we could just water down the message a little bit and not mention Jesus, but still kind of live out what, what he's saying. And then, and then maybe we just stop gathering altogether and we'll just kind of pass by in the street and, hey, how you doing? And... Uh, Maybe we'll just compromise the message a bit. Maybe we'll just try to fit more in with the culture. Maybe we'll just try more to entertain people to kind of get them on board. Does this sound familiar? Look around today, loved ones. Look around. What do you see the majority of churches turning to? Just make it more social, make the gospel more socially acceptable. Talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. Say Jesus, but then say that he's not the only way to heaven. Say that all roads lead to heaven, all gods lead to heaven, all religions lead to heaven. Say that. But then you can still have your Jesus. Do you see this happening? This is what they're faced with right now. And you say, why why is this so important that we stop here and pause and look at where the disciples, the believers turn to? Because of this, what we turn to first shows what or who we're dependent on the most. What we turn to first always shows what or who we are dependent on the most. When that trial comes, where are you turning? Are you turning to yourself? Well, I've got to figure out a way. Are you turning to someone else? Well, he's got to come through for me. Are you turning to other options you think are available to you? Other methods or resources? What you turn to first shows what or who we are dependent on the most. Think about your past week. You say, well, how do I know? Just look. Not in a spirit of condemnation, loved ones, but a spirit of evaluation, Look back at your past week. How many times when those trials hit, when that hard situation happened, even when things are going super well for you, how many times did you turn to the Lord in prayer and how many times did you just go to other things first? What was your first? We're called to be first responders to our king. Always 
How is that? Just look at your past week. And say, Lord, where was I at? You see, because here's the thing. If I went around the room today and I would say, how many of you pray? Chances are every hand in this room would go up or close to it. How many of you pray, right? Every hand would go up. Okay, okay. This begs the question then, why then do we so often not see the power of God through prayer? If everybody prays, why do we so often not see God working in his power and his glory? Because this, most of the prayers we do pray are not prayed in submission to God. Jesus even said this. He goes, you ask, but you ask with your wrong motives, desiring to get what you want. Even though we call out to him in, in our hearts, our dependency is still on ourselves or others. We must realize this, loved ones. Not every prayer is a prayer of dependence made in submission to God. Not every prayer that we pray is a prayer made out of a heart of dependency on the Lord and made in submission to him. And God will oppose the proud, but he will give grace to the humble, the submitted. Let's break it down. So often we pray, you say, so what does that look like? Let's try to be clear. Let's break it down. So often we pray this, with our kingdom in mind and not his, our, our focus is my kingdom come and my will be done. My agenda, my comfort, my time, my way. When our prayer needs to be, Jesus Christ, your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Your time, your way, your means. Asking God so often to submit to us in what we want instead of submitting to him in what he wants. See, the truth is this. You'll see it on the screen, church. Truth is this. We only see the power of God through prayer when we submit ourselves to God in prayer. We only see the power of God through prayer when we submit ourselves to God in prayer for his plans, his purposes, and by his power. His plans, his purposes, and by his power. And I see a lot of phones going off, and that's amazing, just so you know. When you listen to these messages online, all the slides are uploaded there. So it's not enough just to see here that the believers pray in this trial and that God responds. It's not enough to say, okay, so they prayed. Well, I pray all the time. But we must see how the believers prayed in submission to God that moved God to respond that moved him to respond to them. And first off, we see they did it together. We see they did it together. Look at, look at verse um, 24, where it says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. I love that. You don't think there's, there's power in corporate prayer coming together for that? The, the, the term together there means uh, in one mind, unified and in one passion. Coming together when God's people pray and you're going to hear a little bit more about what God did at our prayer night on Wednesday at the last part of this message. There's power when God's people come to pray in submission to him. And we see this 
we see three ways that God calls us to pray and he wants his people to approach him in prayer individually and corporately as the church. And as I said earlier, this isn't just one pattern. Well, that's just one text we'll pull out. We see it all throughout scripture and we're gonna do a little systematic theology of submitted prayer. The prayer that God promises to bless. And the first way is this, to pray in submission to Christ. We must first pray with reverence for who he is. Not approaching God flippantly. Yo, Jesus, you're my homie. Seriously? No. He's your king. He's your king. And he deserves your honor and respect. That's why Ecclesiastes 5 says, Be careful when you come to the house of God. Let your words be few. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Reverence for who he is. Look at verse 24. It's just so beautifully outlined right here. Verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. That term, that term sovereign Lord there, the Greek term is despotis. Despotis. And it means this. You'll see it on the screen. When they say sovereign Lord here, it means this. Absolute master who exercises complete jurisdiction and has, ready for this, ready for this, unchallengeable power. You gonna approach him flippantly? No. Unchallengeable power. Absolute master who exercises complete jurisdiction. And this title as one commentator put it, this title, Sovereign Lord, ascribes. See what, they, see what they first do in prayer. They don't come with their laundry list of needs. God wants us to bring our needs before him, but not as our priority. He's our priority in prayer. Seeking his face, seeking his heart. Why do we continue in prayer? The only worthwhile means to continue to pray is because God is worthy to be sought for himself. And not for our list of stuff. He's, we reduce him to little more than a Santa Claus. He's worthy to be sought because he's the king. He's the sovereign Lord. And this title, sovereign Lord, ascribes absolute authority and rule to God. The church at the outset. Notice what they did in the midst of persecution that's coming. Their life on the line. The church at the outset reminded themselves of God's control over all things. They started claiming his attributes. Sovereign Lord, we are control, you are under, you are over every single thing. Everything that's happening to us is under your control. How many times do we have thoughts thinking, I don't have control, I don't have control. No, but he does. So go to him. Go to him first. Leave the list here and go to him and ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Amen? The attributes of God. And this is just one. Look, they're describing the attributes of him as creator here. I love this. Who made the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Look around. When you look at God's creation and you recognize and ascribe to him, the glory is due his name as creator. Just look around. You look at the heavens. Isaiah 40, 26. I was on my porch last night. I looked up. I saw that blanket of stars out there. And Isaiah 40, 26 says he calls everyone out by name. And he's holding them in place. 
What does that do for the situation you're facing here? When you remember who's over it. Ascribe to the Lord. Reverence. Awe. How many of us need to remind ourselves of this as our first response in the trials we face? How would doing this change our outlook or process for how we go through the rest of the trial? If we just ascribed in reverence and drew near to him in reverence and fear of him first. See, here the disciples were recognizing who God was and that he was completely sovereign in control over the situation they faced. And in response, you see what happens? When you approach God in reverence, you see what happens? They were humbling themselves and submitting to his will and not their own. They're like, we recognize you as our absolute master. You're our king. I'm not sitting on the throne of my heart. You are. Let's get our awe back. When you start feeling afraid, remember, remember, the problem isn't ultimately fear. The problem is ultimately an awe problem. Let's not elevate that situation, that person to the place where only God belongs. Reverence. Jesus, and, and you say, well, wait a second, that's just one text. No, 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 no. Jesus himself modeled this reverence when he taught the disciples to pray. They said this in Luke 11, and you'll see here, he shows it again in Matthew 6. The disciples approach him and say, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, Jesus. And what's the first thing? He says, when you pray, look at Matthew 6, 9, he says there, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Ah, holiness. The term hallowed means holy, set apart, pure, sanctified. There it is. Hallowed be your name. First response. And why would Jesus, out of all the things, when they said, teach us how to pray, why would Jesus focus on this one first? Because here's the reality. Proper reverence for Christ brings us into a willing submission to Christ. Proper reverence for Christ brings us into a willing submission to Christ. That's why Jesus starts out with it. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 10 of Matthew 6, after we ascribe to the Lord the reverence and awe due his name, then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's the submission. Your kingdom, your way, your time, your will be done. Notice, there's an order there. Reverence first, loved ones. And we see, when we do this, we see ourselves or our circumstances in light of the God, our king, who is over it. And the reality is this, loved ones, you've heard it before, you'll probably hear it again. Who or what you put first is always going to order the rest. Who or what you put first is always going to order the rest. If you put your faith, you put your trust, you push your reverence, you put your awe, you put your fear in the one who is over that situation, he's going to order your steps and you will be secure. And here, if I could sum that up, you'll see this quote on the screen. Who or what you give reverence to is ultimately what you submit to. Think about that. Who or what you give reverence to is ultimately what you submit to. If you give reverence to your fear, you will live in fear. If you give reverence to your anxiety and elevate it above the God who's over that, you will live in anxiety you will submit to it. If you give reverence to your finances and banking everything on that, you will submit to that. To your work, to your family, 
And loved ones, none of those things will last. Is what you submit to. So question, loved ones, who or what are you giving your reverence to? Yourself? Others? Your resources? Maybe you're giving reverence to that situation. You're just sitting right here with it instead of getting our eyes vertical in reverence on the Lord who loves you and is over it and in control. So the first way we pray in submission to Christ, we must pray with reverence for who he is. Secondly, we see here in verse 25 to 26, we must pray with remembrance of what he said. You don't get to remembrance without reverence. Watch this, 25, 26. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, see what's happening here? See what's happening here? The believers are now praying, going back to scripture and praying Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. They go back to what God has said. They're remembering the promises he's made. They go back and pray from Psalm 2, 1 and 2 and are remembering that Christ had promised that the kings and rulers would come against him to kill him. But ultimately, it would all be in vain. That term vain there in verse 25, the term vain there means this, empty. It's all gonna come up empty. Those leaders will try to destroy me and they'll kill me for a time, but it's gonna be empty. It's going to be, here's another word for it, ineffective Here's another one, amounting to zero. They're going to plot and they're going to scheme and they're going to do all this. It's going to go right there. Right there. And they're reminding themselves of this promise. How do we need to remind ourselves of the promises of God? Amen? We just leak out promises like it's nobody's business. We need to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And this is what the disciples are doing. Remembrance of what God has said. This is the situation I see. This is the trial I'm in. But this is what God has said and speaking to that. And you can know this, loved ones. Whatever your situation in right now, whatever you're in right now, whatever you're facing right now, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. There's over 3,000 promises of God in this book. And there is at least one of them for the situation you're facing. Nothing you will face comes out from under the promises of God to keep you, to sustain you, to strengthen you, to help you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. Nothing comes out. Let's not elevate and reverence that situation over the God who's over it. Remember what he said, loved ones. Because as hard as they tried, these guys were no match for his power and authority and Jesus Christ would rise again because he is the anointed one. You see there in verse 26 where it says anointed, that means the son of God, the Messiah, the savior. You're gonna try, not happening. It's in vain. So how do we submit to the Lord? Here it is, sum it up right here. We submit to the Lord when we stand on his promises and not our perceptions. His promises in a situation, not our perceptions of the situation. This is going so bad. What am I going to do? What am I, this has to, we submit to God when we stand on his promises in faith and not our perceptions. So question, loved ones, whose words have the final say in your prayer life? God's or yours? That was very convicting for me this week. Whose words have the final say in your prayer life? In that situation you're in. God's words or yours? 
Are we remembering what he said? Forget about what your perceptions are saying in that situation and remember what God has spoken. John 15, 7, Jesus says this. If you, there's the condition. There's the condition right there. If, if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, if I'm remembering what God has said, meditating on what God has said, the promises that he's made, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We will be praying out of a place of reverence and submission to God for his will, his way. Of course he's going to grant it. Because it's his will. You're coming under him, not asking him to come under you. The power of God come, always comes through the promises of God and not your perceptions. The power of God always comes through the promises of God and never our perceptions in a situation. So sum up, when we faithfully pray God's word, we pray God's will. Notice, when we faithfully pray God's word, we pray God's will and we'll see his power. And some may ask, well, wait, how do, I, how do I pray God's word? I mean, this is a huge book. I'm going through this. Where do I even find a promise in this? How do I, how do I pray God's word? Hey, loved ones, let's tap into this a little bit. Um, this hit me, this application hit me on Friday afternoon, so I didn't have time. Couldn't make time to print out, you know, 150 copies for everybody. But I did put the uh, website on the screen there. How do you pray from God's word? This is from Desiring God, and this is 10 tips to get you started praying God's word. 10 tips to get you started when praying God's word. There's the website, okay? This is where prayer comes not from ourself, but it comes from what God says. And you watch what happens when we step into that. 10 tips for praying God's word. So, so to pray in submission to Christ, we must, we must pray with reverence for who he is, we must pray with remembrance for what he said. And number three, we must pray in recognition, with recognition for what he's done. Recognition for what he's done. Look at 27 to 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. 28. To do, well, I love this, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. After remembering God's promise, reverence, remembrance, remembering God's promise that Christ has defeated his enemies, those who would seek to oppose his gospel going forward, he has totally taken it, they're going to amount to nothing. The believers now recognize how God acted to fulfill his promise according to his sovereign plan that he predestined to take place for the before creation itself. Now that word predestined there, predestined, that's a big word in 28. What does that mean? Let's break it down. It means this. You'll see it on the screen. Marked out. God has marked out what will happen. He set the boundaries. This is the doctrine of predestination. God knew beforehand what is going to happen. That's awesome. This is why Isaiah 46, you want another scripture to back that up? Isaiah 46.10. It says he knows the end from the beginning. Awesome. Still not convinced? Start with Romans 8.28 and read to the end. Amazing. Now, you've got to ask, well, wait a second. What did God predestine before the creation of the world? What, before he laid the foundation, what did he predestine? That Jesus Christ, his only son, was put to death by the rulers of Israel. He predestined that Christ would die. 
Jesus wasn't forced to come to earth. He willingly came to earth as part of God's predestined plan for the redemption of earth, for the redemption of souls. And then the rulers of Israel, and he lists a bunch here in 27, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor who ultimately sealed Christ's fate, and other Jews and non-Jews that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And after being crucified, he was buried for three days in a tomb, God's predestined plan, and then rose again on the third day, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And here, 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 you want to know the greatest news? The greatest news of God's predestined plan right here. For every person who has repented of their sin and confessed Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and Savior, they now have eternal security in him. And that no matter what may come against them in this life, they have nothing to fear. We sang it earlier, whom shall I fear? Take that banner with you into the workplace tomorrow. Whom shall I fear? Because why? Why? Because here's God's predestined plan of the gospel. Right here. He is their defender. You and I were never meant to be our defender. Jesus Christ, if you are in him, is your defender. He is our peace. He is our power. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He is our hope. He is our strength, and he is greater than anything in this world that will come against us. The world plots in vain when it comes to the gospel all the time. Do you believe that? There's the gospel, the predestined plan of God. See, this is the glorious truth of the gospel and through which the power of God flows into your life and mine and into his church to see it advanced for his glory. Let this truth, loved ones, fuel your prayers as you submit to Christ and call out to him. Let that truth, recognizing what God has done by sending his son and what is our inheritance because of that, let that fuel your prayers. Let it fuel it. And this is why, loved ones, we must get back to the gospel every day. You and I, this isn't a Sunday morning thing. You and I need to be preaching this gospel to ourselves every single day. And if you're like me, I'm not, I have a great memory. It just doesn't last long, right? And so so I need to preach it many times a day to myself. I'm filtering my prayers through the lens of the gospel and not through the lens of my own pride and my own comfort and my own desires. I love how Martin Luther said this. We need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. We forget it when the fear hits. We forget it when the anxiety hits. God's like, don't forget. Hello, don't forget. Reverence, remembrance, recognition. Don't forget. Preach the gospel to yourself. Every day, loved ones. Keep that on the forefront of your mind and your heart. And we leak. And you have to understand our flesh is fallen. Our minds are fallen. You ever think about like your, do you ever think about this? Your brain is fallen like mine. It's part of your flesh. Your brain is fallen. So the first thing the enemy is going to make sure that leaks out of your mind, out of your heart, is the gospel. Because he knows that's where the power is. So that's the first thing he's going to work to leak. Recognize it. Preach it. Every day. 
When we truly recognize the gospel of Christ, we will pray in submission to Christ in realizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. But through him, loved ones, be encouraged. Through him, he has given us all we need for life and godliness. There is a promise for that situation you are facing, for that perception that's going on in front of you right now. There's a promise that God has spoken that cannot move, and he will act in power for those who walk in humility before him. He will not oppose the humble. He desires it. Question. I'm pretty fired up about this, eh? Yeah, if you're gonna get fired up about anything, get fired up about the gospel. And God has so clearly given us a roadmap to see him work on our behalf. So question, what lens are you filtering your prayer through today? The gospel lens or your lens? The prayer in that situation. Gospel lens or your lens? What's the filter you're using? Example, in the trial you're facing, when you have that fear or anxiety of the situation or the future, that temptation, that addiction, what lens are you filtering your prayer through What Christ has done or what you think you need to do? See, just look at the list. Right there, you see it right there. Reverence, remembrance, recognition. Where do you need to get back to a posture of submission in your prayer? Maybe even for the first time. Which one is it for you? Reverence, remembrance, or recognition? Do those things fuel your prayer? Here's why this is so important. Because to see God's power in the church, we must pray with a posture of submission to Christ. Where are we not submitted? Right there. And now, now, ready? Here comes the request. Here comes the request. Now, with our vision of God clarified and in a posture of submission and humility before him, we must pray this. Here comes the request. Ready? For the power of God through Christ. We must pray for the power of God through Christ to see God's power in the church. Look at 29 to 31, and we'll finish it off here. And now, Lord, look upon your, their threats. See, here comes the request right there. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, ready? Here you go. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now that the believers are in a place of humility and submission before the Lord, recognizing who he is and surrender to his will, they make the request for God to grant them the boldness to continue to preach the gospel even in the face of inevitable and increasing opposition that awaited them. Now recall, in verse 29, that word boldness there, recall from our last message, boldness, the Greek word there means confidence. Give us the the confidence to speak your word, to preach your word, the freedom of speech, the, here it is, ready? Boldness, fearless resolve to have courageous clarity in the face of opposition. Fearless resolve. There's their request. What a request. Fearless resolve to continue. And that word grant there in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant. You know what that means? The Greek means to place in someone. 
So they're saying, Lord, place in us more boldness to speak your word. Why? Because they knew that on their own they would fail and they needed boldness from the Lord to stay faithful in the mission that he'd given them. Recall John 15 and 5, these words that shudder me every morning. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no boldness apart from Christ. Put that boldness in us. Is that our prayer as a church? Lord, put that boldness in us. We see the opposition. We see it. We see how the church is getting pushed to the margins. But you're still advancing your kingdom. Put the boldness in us. And after asking for boldness, you see it there, 31. They make another request for God to show his glory and power through acts of mercy. See that healing signs wonders to confirm the message of the gospel and advance the kingdom of God through the church. And so how does God respond? Look at 31. When they prayed, here comes the response, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. See, in response to their prayers. By the way, do you know what that Greek word for prayer is? You know what, you know what that means? Love this. I was so blessed by this. The pressing need. It wasn't, hey, you know, Jesus, just when you feel like it, just, you know, come and, come and meet with us. That's, hey, yeah, okay. This was a pressing need, loved ones. Urgent appeal. This was a prayer of dependency, saying, God, if you don't show up, things are going south really fast. This wasn't a when you get around to it. It's like, hey, 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 now. And because they were in the place of submission and reverence to God, they were like, yes. You want my will? It's my kingdom come? Let me show you my kingdom. Here, here's a dose of my presence for you. And I'm even going to shake the room. And the Greek word for shake there means totter. That thing was, it wasn't like, well, that's a cool fictional story. The room was tottering. It's tottering. Imagine if we're in a tottering room right now. beautiful like a violent wind or force that would that's what that shaken word means and the result is what they continue to share the gospel with boldness but notice this notice this when did the holy spirit show up only after they asked with expectancy and in faith from a heart of humility and a heart of faith that's standing firm on god's promises then the holy spirit showed up if if jesus says you abide in me and my words abide in you. If. How many of our prayers are just thrown up and we're on the wrong side of the if? God wants to give us more than what we're asking for. Do you know what he wants to give us? Him. Him. So live in the text. Put yourself in that room. Just put yourself in that room. <laughs> this is going on. Put yourself in that room right now. The room is literally shaking all over the place. What would you pray for if you were in that room right there? What would you pray for? You've got these threats, these oppositions coming. What would you pray for? What would you ask God for? If we're honest, loved ones, I think if you're like me, probably something like this. Lord, change the circumstance, please. Make it easier for me in it. Change the circumstance, please. Don't we do that so often? Lord, just change the circumstance. Just get me through this. And, and we sit there and we cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And the circumstance, he's like, 
until you come to me. Because I've got something greater than just you getting out of the circumstance, loved one. I've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords ready to meet with you. Maybe we'd pray for protection. Lord, just protect us. Notice there's no prayer for protection right here. He said, hey, just, just protect me. Maybe it's a pray for comfort. Just make it, make it more comfortable. Or, or here's another one we pray. Lord, would you just remove these enemies? Notice they don't actually ask to remove the enemies coming against them. Why? Because they know God's in control. He's got a predestined plan over that. And these are the most of the prayers we hear today. Underlying theme is this. Lord, make things easier for me. Make things more comfortable for me. Ouch. That hurt me this week. Love how Tony Merritt, a commentator, says this. This prayer that you just witnessed right there, that we just read, this prayer was about mission and not comfort. Yes. Are our prayers missional? Or are they more for comfort of self? This prayer was about mission and not comfort. The church prayed for boldness and perseverance rather than comfort. They knew Jesus, here it is, this is what it comes down to. They knew Jesus was worth more than their lives. Do you? Do I? Do our prayers reflect that Jesus is worth more than our lives? Are our prayers missional? Or are they about our comfort? It's the prayer of this. Your kingdom come, Jesus. My kingdom go. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm in. Your power, your glory over my comfort. And God answered with a resounding yes. Here's my power. Here's my glory. And the church that prays as God has told us will receive the blessing of God. So how about you? How about me, loved ones? Could it be that our prayers are more about our comfort being maintained or enhanced than they are about asking for God's greater glory and power to be displayed in our lives, in our church? How about in our families? Hey, it's Father's Day. Men, love you. Single men, spiritual fathers, biological fathers, love you very much. Fathers and husbands, How are you praying for your families? Missional or comfort? Just make it easier for me, Lord. I know, I have four little boys. I gotta say, it's so easy to go to comfort, isn't it? Lord, please just get them to bed. Please, just a moment. Yes, I get it. I'm there with you, loved ones. I'm not preaching. I'm preaching to myself right now. Right? Are they missional? Say, okay, they're still awake. Okay. How do you want to show your glory right now? Let's go. Missional or comfort? How are you praying for your families and for your role in leading them, men? God has called us to lead. Loved ones, I will say this as we land the plane here shortly into communion. The power of God, this glory, this power is rarely seen in your comfort zone. You can stay there if you want. It's rarely seen there.
because this power and glory is seen through the heart that says, whatever you want, you are worth it all. More than my life. This is the power, this is the power, loved ones, the gospel power that can see marriages restored, men and women and children brought from death to life, addictions broken, pain healed, discouragement turned to joy, comfort given, guilt and condemnation crushed under the power of Christ, faith strengthened, and even churches planted for God's glory. This is the prayer that is the pathway of God's power in the church and the prayer that God readily answers. Don't believe me? Okay, well, I told you I'd circle back on our prayer night from this past Wednesday. Here's what happens when God's people humble themselves under him and pray. So uh, for those of you who don't know, we had the, um, our Quebec church planters here, Daniel and Eric and their wives and their children, and they came across the hall and we had our church-wide prayer night for them. It was the first bilingual prayer night we've had. It was incredible. It was literally off the charts. And, and more people actually started praying and singing in French than English. I better start learning. <laughs> but here's the reality, loved ones. Here's the reality. As God's people came together, as we see here, that corporate prayer, God's spirit came down as reverential awe was ascribed to him and as, as remembering, praying the promises of God back to him. He showed up, and I was, I was, uh, the next day, I received two text messages from Daniel and Eric. You want to know how God shows up? Now, just a little thing, just a little thing, or don't put those on the screen yet, no cheating. But here's the thing, here's the thing, okay? So, they are now at a place, Daniel and Eric, where they have two core group members. Every other core group member has left. It's their families and these two people. Now, they don't know what to do next. Super discouraged coming in. That's why we brought them here. And we just came around them. Remember that? Guys who were there, we just circled chairs around them and called down the thunder over them. Watch how God shows up. Right here. Here, put Daniel's on the screen here, please, Gloria. Daniel wrote this to me. He goes, thank you for last night, brother. My heart is full right now. This is a guy who's so discouraged. My heart is full. It was a faith-reviving time. The people of your church have ministered greatly to our hearts. What a blessing to see a praying church. That's the game changer. God bless you, my friend. Nothing revives your faith except the power of the Holy Spirit. And when God's Spirit comes down, there is refreshment and strengthening. And there's a testimony to it. Still not convinced? Okay, okay, let's go to Eric's. Here we go. He says, brother... I have no word to describe, no words, to describe how thankful my family and I are for tonight. The Lord, here, the Lord truly strengthened our faith, there it is again, and mostly showed us that he cares for us and that we sometimes tend to forget. See, we leak. There's the gospel. We, we're reminded of the gospel. We recognize what God had done. Remember what he said. The Lord is on the move. Now look at this. Okay, remember how I said? Hadn't seen any movement. Every door closing, 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 closing. Look what happened the next day. Four others just contacted us. Four others just contacted us because they want to dedicate times of prayer for the church plan. We feel the hand of the Lord. Amen? Come on. That's what happens when God's people come together with an agenda that is his and not our own. God moves. 
And man-made strategies at that point are gone. And he says, watch what I do to build my church and do what I've predestined to take place. The path of God's power in the church. And that's just a taste. Loved ones, to see God's power in the church, we must pray with a posture of submission to Christ and for the power of God through Christ. And there is no better way for us to come in humility, reverence, remembrance, and recognition of what Christ has done for us than by coming to the Lord's table together and reminding ourselves of the mission that we are a part of and the Savior who has made that possible.